Hello and welcome to the Women in Safety podcast, a place of conversations to empower and inspire you to transform your career. I'm your host, Alana Ball, and we're here today to cut through some of the BS of health and safety. I want to be real, authentic, and most of all, think critically about what we learn, what we hear, and how we experience things in our journey. I want you to take this time for yourself. Reconnect with your passion, reconnect with your career, and join us as we grow together. So settle in and see where this episode transforms you. Hello, welcome back, Chandra. Another Topic Tuesday on the table today. How are you? Fantastic, Ilana. It's, uh, yeah, it's great to catch up again. It is. And you have picked the research piece for us this week. Do you want to introduce what we're going to have a chat about? Certainly. Um, so this week I have picked a, a research article um, in the BMJ Journal um, regarding commuting time to work and the link between that and health. Um, and I guess the reason I was really attracted to this research was twofold. Firstly, I think that it's a really easy um, piece of research for the general population to um, to get engrossed in. And secondly, um, one of my um, aspects of my life has been in the mining industry. And uh, at, at some point in my life, I used to commute um, an hour and 20 each way um, mm. at the back of doing shift work in the mine. Um, and I guess since that time and looking at how many other people actually do that sort of thing, I have always been really interested in fatigue policies and, and the policing of fatigue policies and the writing of fatigue policies. And, and I think this research um, is great because it really does show um, so many aspects of what happens when people are commuting long distances outside of work. Mm. And for those listening, obviously the uh, the link to the article for reading is in the show notes. And yeah, look, I'm always one to you know reflect, I guess, on now I work from home. I used to commute anywhere from kind of 40 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on the day, depending on the traffic, the accidents and all of the rest. And uh, I guess reflect on my own journey when it comes to the commute time and linking from, a, a, I think, a physical and a mental side. Uh, for me, I don't have that commute anymore. And I had to commute to the city only last week um, for a kind of, I did a co-working day and I think that was the most exhausting part of my day. <laughs> so the article, basically, the the objective was talking about essentially long commute times linked to poor health outcomes and examining, I guess, that commute time versus the behavioural related health. What was your probably biggest takeaway of the article overall, do you think? Yeah, look, I think um, reflecting on my own personal experience and then tapping into this article, um, you know, this article really highlights um, the unique nature of the fatigue problem. And, uh, you know, when I say that, what I mean is um, there's no, for me, there's no standard rule around, um, you know, fatigue policy. Um, and I think when we design fatigue policy and say, well, 12 hours or 14 hours at work um, is the maximum, whatever it might be, um, I think we need to factor in that there's more than how much time we spend at work and we often fixate 
on how many hours of work you do. Um, I think when we move to a more holistic um, WHS or, or holistic wellbeing understanding, we have to look at what are people doing outside of work. Um, and that's not a violation of privacy. I think what it is is an understanding of the whole human being. So this particular article, you know, talks about the fact that when you are working long hours and you're commuting um, more than, you know, a certain amount of time, um, the, the real losers here are sleep and activity. Um, mm. Now, that's not stunning in any essence. Um, of course, we would think that if you're commuting three hours a day and working 12 hours, it's going to impact on your sleep routine and not give you a lot of time to give go to the gym. Mm. Um, what is interesting here is that it really does show um, quality of sleep also is affected and then it goes further to talk about behavioural-related issues like problem drinking mm. um, and the connection there, which I think really helps us understand um, that we need to be looking deeper when we're, when we're setting our policies and we're looking after our people in the best way, we're looking further than how much time are they spending at a computer. Yeah, and I think it really called out that uh, I guess the outcome that they wanted out of this article was to really reflect on what are those work arrangements that are in place to maybe decrease the weekly commute time. And I know there was a number of suggestions. Uh, obviously, Chandra and I are both based in southeast Queensland around, you know, how do we how do we stop that peak travel period? Because those commute times are exacerbated by this constant notion that everyone has to be at the office at 9am and then everyone has to leave at 5pm. Whereas if you travelled, say, at 6am, that, you know, your commute time might only be half an hour compared to being at the office by nine when everyone else was doing it. And and I think that was really interesting to go, okay, what are what are the other factors? How do we operate in an organisation where we can go, what can we do to alleviate some of this, knowing that, you know, the, the nine to five lifestyle really has gone, you know, and COVID, COVID as we know, taught us a lot of that. Uh, how do we make sure that people, as you said, can bring their whole self to work? What do they do outside of work? You know, I literally only had a girlfriend this morning that's been up all night with the kids and she said, I feel like I'm going to crash on the way to work. I'm so tired today. I've got a long, she commutes probably an hour and 20 each way. Uh, and she doesn't finish till late tonight after a particular meeting. And I just said to her, I said, stop. I said, there is no organisation that needs to value that. Can you take the morning off? Have have a bit of a rest, try and catch up before you drive. Like it is just unsafe. Uh, so I you know, I think it is that reflection on what organisations can do differently to support those commute times and to decrease it, as the article suggests. Yeah, I mean, when we when we look here at the results component of this study and it talks about um, how many people have had changes within their commuting time, um, you know, I reflect on on different conversations that I've had with employees where people have said, you know, can I work from home? Or when COVID hit and we started looking at working from home and we seem to, you know, fixate on the, the notion of, well, if you're commuting less, you might be able to work more. Um, mm. You know, I get that unspoken that when we're trying to lobby our employer to get working from home or, or less of a commute, um, we, we start to focus on, you know, what might be in it for the company. Uh, but I wonder if we focus more on, 
you know, some of the key elements in here, smoking less, drinking less, access to or time to prepare more healthy food, if that forms part of the conversation that we're having with employees, it really switches the nature of what do we want out of this? We want longevity with our employees. We want healthy employees. We don't want employees who are just negotiating commute time on the basis of what's in it for the company. Mm. Um, you know, empower people to have conversations about obesity and ab about healthy food preparation. And so how can we build that into our policies so that that becomes the focus, um, not just purely on we want to reduce you commute time from an hour and a half to 40 minutes. Mm. Um, that there's something in that for, for, for many senior policymakers. I think the other, uh, if we flip it a bit as well, because I think it's something I've seen a lot of recently is is more this notion of, you know, post-COVID, we don't have that commute time anymore. So the mental health of people is less because they don't have that boundary between their dining table, their home office, wherever it might be. They don't have that commute time to switch off. And it, so I think it is that, that bound how do we get that balance right of you know we don't want people commuting the evidence suggests uh that the longer commute times have that negative health effect on physical health on sleep on uh, psychological health so on one hand we've got longer commutes doing all this but it's like well no commute to the dining room table also has its impact of we're never switching off from work so i think it'll be interesting to watch how do we get that balance in that uh, kind of post-COVID life, and I think you kind of really allude to it there, is going, well, how do we set ourselves up for success? What are the tips and tricks, the habits that we can form that says, okay, now's a work time, now's a switch off from work time? And that takes that personal dedication to be like, okay, I don't have a commute. How do I set myself up for a healthier habit today? Which, guilty, I need to do more of. Thanks. <laughs> oh, we all do. We all do, and I think that there's... You know, this study makes us focus not on the problems within the organisation, not on the problems with the individual, and it even goes as far as to talk about gender differences in, in problems. Mm -hmm. um, so what I think is great about this article is it's not pointing the finger at, you know, the problem is you or the problem is the gender, the problem is, you know, any one organisation. It's saying that um, when we start to look at, you know, the differences between commuting 30 minutes versus commuting over an hour. Um, there are some fundamental differences in obesity outcomes, um, sleep quality, um, you know, some, some really um, key health factors. And, uh, and we need to be able to have those conversations that say, are our policies designed to encourage people to commute less and eat better? Um, are we actually looking at, um, you know, how far our people are commuting and how we can jazz that up a little bit? And are we fully up to speed with, you know, what those cutoffs are? And, and I like that this study really focuses in on, the, on that one hour component because as oh. you and I have both done the commute over an hour, and at the time I was, you know, young, bright, bushy-eyed, I thought, you know, I could travel for four hours each day. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, um, yes, I can remember times crossing bridges where all of a sudden I've, you know, thought... How the hell did I get here? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. So it does impact us in ways that at the time we're probably not aware. Um, so I think, you know, when we look at this, this notion of are your people travelling over an hour to work and when we start to think even just locally of people that are travelling between the Gold Coast and Brizzy, 
you know, from a metric perspective, you mightn't be that far away, but the moment you have problems on the M1, you're an... It's M1. all gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So what are our people commuting? What does that mean? How do we have those robust, important wellbeing conversations that empower people to focus on the best version of themselves? And that's really what we want to drive home here with women in safety. Mm. I think the other interesting kind of add-on that this article pointed out was the normal working hours. So they really looked at that commute time as an add-on to a, say, 30-hour week versus a 40-plus-hour week. And I think there's a lot to be said in that as well, is that, you know, if you're only working 30 hours a week, great, maybe that commute time won't impact you as much. But this 40-hour plus a week kind of work schedule and they're your normal working hours, adding that commute time to that I think is where it really started to show that kind of detrimental impact to people, uh, for whether it be chronic uh, chronic disease, job strain, shift work. And if I put the lens of that psychosocial kind of risk and going, okay, where do our risk factors come in? How are we chalking up somewhere on the system of are our work hours and where our office is located uh, impacting how our people turn up from a job strain perspective that I need a job, I really love my job, you know, my husband Classic used to commute over an hour all the way to the other side of Brisbane because uh, he really liked his job. But I think after a while, that fatigue really kicked in of, oh, God, I've got to do that whole drive over and over and over and over again. At the time, he was, you know, I don't care. It's really exciting. I love that time. But then it was like, okay, now you're missing out on time with the kids. Again, the article has, is there a presence of children? Are there, there children at home? And I think if you start to add, there's so many contributing factors on on this article that, we would need 10 episodes to kind of break down each data point because I think that all have such an impact on the outcome of, you know, our health and our, our impact. Yeah, look, I, I can't agree more. I think that um, a lot of my history has been working in multi-site organisations where we've had, you know, sites across Australia. And, of course, one of the discussions that we have as HR professionals or as CEOs or as leaders is, you know, the variation and allowing people to try different sites and, and secondments and uh, acting roles. And, and, you know, we know the benefits of, of all of those things and, and they're an important rite of passage in the employment relationship. But I don't remember having thorough conversations about, you know, Joe's been working at this one particular site, he's now going to do a secondment at this other site. What does the variation in commute actually mean for his well-being? Mm. Um, we usually sort of say to the employee, do you want to do it? Um, and what you'll gain out of it, um, are we venturing into that space where we're looking at the other risk factors that might come into play when we vary someone's commute time? And this is not necessarily just focusing on the one hour. You know, if I've been used to my whole career commuting 15 minutes, 40 minutes or 45 minutes is going to feel very, very different. Um now, there is that muscle and mental fitness of, of doing long commutes and I think we need to also be conscious when we're looking at flexible work arrangements where people go to m multiple sites or we offer secondments or we offer, you know, training at different sites, we do need to be considering what variation of commute time means to the total well-being of those employees. Well, you think about those that do have the multi-site where it's uh, you've got 
you know, we're going to show up at this site to do, you know, once a month, we're all going to come together at this particular site to have a have a meeting because you've got team members kind of all over the place. I think even the impact of that and just just really reflecting on how many hours people are working and then how many hours people are commuting. And I know that we've got a lot of people who do the work from home and there's a lot of that flexibility now but I think it is one that we need to just be thinking of when we we think about as you said that that policy level how are we writing this into what we do the next component I think for a lot of our listeners is to to really then look at that executive suite um, now that in our post-covid world where we've got people going back to you know flying a lot mm. um, now one of the things that used to surprise me is that when I looked back and sort of said, okay, I left home at four o'clock to catch a flight time and then the flight was an hour and a half to Sydney and, and then I had to get to site and so I turned up at site at 10 o'clock and, and people would make jokes about what time you got there. Mm. You, you've been in commute for an extremely long period of time. You, you, you know, you work till four o'clock, then you go back to the airport to fly home. You're home by nine o'clock at night. Um, that, you know, that process of being... Um, a, a corporate member or an executive member or just anyone who does um, commuting that involves air travel where that is part of, you know, the factors that, that add to your time in commute, that is a whole different story because when we start talking about commute times that are three and four hours um, each way, mm-hmm. you know, you need to consider the quality of work that's coming from those executives. And then in a previous podcast, we've talked about burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, so have we linked commute times appropriately to, to burn out for executives. Um, I think sometimes we're very quick to say let's go on a plane and let's get there because we love the face-to-face, but mm. essentially sometimes what we lose in that process and what we're putting our people through physiologically and, and psychologically may not be worth it in the end. Mm. And look, you know, obviously we're not talking about the one-offs and things like that, but I think it is just that reflection on where are those added kind of pain points coming from? And, you know, there's, as you said, we've seen an increase in, you know, we're back in that relationship building. We are getting on the plane to catch up with everyone, you know, from a work perspective. And I think this notion that uh, whether a drive commute or a plane commute, that you're sitting on your ass doing nothing for that time, it surely isn't stressful. But whether on a plane or driving, you know, I don't know about you, but, I'm the first to be like, okay, what's coming up? What do I need to do? It's not a peaceful sit there and zone out. Like on the odd flight, I might have fallen asleep, uh, but it's not exactly a, a calm, collected, uh, yeah, re- relaxed time by any means. And same with driving. It's like the the stress and pressure of driving in traffic, in peak hour to get to work. You're thinking about, you know, for me, it's like, well, did I drop the kids off? What have they got their bag? And are they going to be sick today? What's that car doing over there? Okay, I've got to get in. Where am I going to park? What's this going to look like? It's not a peaceful sit and do nothing. And I think that reflection that that commute time is not just a, a kind of null and void hour of your time anymore. I think it's, yeah. But as I said, also reflecting on no commute time and do we have that time to switch off from work now that a lot of us kind of do the work from home piece as well? Yeah, look, I uh, I think about a number of my um, female friends and not just female friends but, but a number of my friends who do a commute um, by road um, that have young children 
um, particularly more and more families provide, you know, mobile phones to their kids now and, you know, you're on your way to work and the kids are phoning you in the mm. car and they want this or they, they need that and you're not there. Um, we live in a very different world. We live in a technology-filled world. We live in long commutes. Um, you know, COVID has allowed a lot of people from work to work from home, but as we touched on in a previous podcast, there's a lot of operational people who can't work mm -hmm. from home. Um, and when you start to, to factor in um, someone who is doing 50 hours a week with a three-hour commute each day, um, facing the health crisis of obesity caused by the sedentary nature of a role. Um, there's not those work, those hours in a day to be, you know, sprinting down to the gym. Um, you then add to that, you know, no preparation time for healthy food, albeit you can order healthy food mm -hmm. these days. There's lots of, you know, co-founding um, issues here that, that need to be considered. And, and I guess... One of the things we can do in this podcast is to reach out to people and empower them to ask the question, what is your commute time doing to your health and, and how can you improve that? How can you vary that? How can you um, maximise, you know, this podcast and the outcomes of this podcast to create a better life for yourself? And if, mm. if we can help one person, then great for the chat today. Mm, definitely. And I think the other thing that I just was reflecting on um, when you were talking was in a post-COVID world as well, we've seen a, I think the decrease in public transport use. So, you know, we, we know that there was a big, big change in how people used public transport during COVID and people were utilising say, for instance, driving into the city and parking because now I work flexibly. Parking in the city for two days a week or three days a week is financially viable. I get in and out quicker, but in turn, that limited how much I would have to walk. I would park here. I would walk to that bus stop or I'd walk to that train station. I'd walk from the train station to the office. So we've I feel like we've lost a little bit of that step count in that I leave my front door, I get in my car, I drive all the way to the city, I park as close as I can to the office to reduce my already long commute time and then I just walk the, you know, block, albeit to the office. Uh, so I think there's that impact as well that, uh, you know, in, in conversations with friends is they've all taken that option to drive in now that they're not doing it five days a week yeah um it, it's there, there's so much we can unpack with this this yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I love the fact that you know we're not here today to solve um or, or to say you know cap it at 40 minutes I, I think as we started this podcast today one of the great things about this discussion is that i don't believe any one fatigue policy is perfect um mm. i think there are problems when we start to say, okay, you can work 12 hours a day or you commute must be capped at this or you can't do this, there is individual factors that come mm. into play. And, and, you know, the hardest thing to do is to manage and uh, empower people. Um, when you start to, you know, try and affect and, and help and assist um, people's wellbeing, it's difficult. But conversation and empowerment to open up the door and say, well, what's the impact of commute? If we hold the, the annual conference here, what's the commute for people and how are we factoring that in? Uh, if we change the location of an office, what does that do to commute times for people and how are we going to, you know, help people with physical inactivity or sleep? Um, it does really open up another podcast to talk about wellbeing strategies 
and where is that fine line between crossing into someone's personal space? Um, mm. But at the day, you know, you've always said we're not here to solve all the problems. We're just here to ask the right questions. Yeah, and I think, as you said, we could have every single data point in, in this article, we kind of could have gone down a very, very long path on. So I encourage you to go and have a read of the article and let us know if there's something that you've changed as a result of listening to this today. We'd love to hear. Uh, I don't have a commute. Uh, Chandra, you don't really have a commute, but you know, make sure we both find that time in our day to set ourselves up for success. So thanks again for another wonderful conversation and we'll be back for another Topic Tuesday. Just wonderful, Alana. Thank you for having me. Thanks, mate. Wow, what an episode. If you loved today's episode just as much as I did, we'd love to hear your feedback or even better, share it with your friends, your colleagues and other safety sisters or safety misters so they too feel empowered and inspired. We will catch you for another conversation next time and we hope in the meantime you start implementing some things to transform your career.